0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, this uh, chapter from the Dhammapada is called the Papavanga. Uh The subtitle is Heartwood and Flowers, and it speaks to the, uh, the progression of the Dhammapada Uh, We looked at the last two classes were in a general way, about mindfulness and then the specific application of mindfulness that the Buddha teaches. And now this chapter gets directly into what is the heartwood of the Buddha's dhamma, always referring to the Eightfold Path, and what are the flowers? What's the um, extraneous things that, if we attach it to our dhamma practice, simply diminishes it? Buddha's words. Who, were, who will overcome this realm of death with all its gods? To me, that's one of the most powerful sentences in all of the Dhamma. Excuse me. Why? Because the Buddha is associating belief in non-physical realms or any kind of speculative belief with a living death, which was the predominant teaching of his time, that, that it was up to some act of salvation, some agent of salvation, that was going to give us a meaningful life or save us from this awful life. And the Buddha couldn't figure that out until he left the palace grounds, listened to what other people were saying and realizing that that couldn't possibly be true for a human being, and awakened, as it's described in the Nagara Sutta. And this is the conclusion that he came to, that any speculative existence, any imaginary existence, anytime I place myself in my own imagination, it's like a living death when you think about the utter logic of that, if I'm in my head, I'm literally not in my body. And it's in my body. It's a mind united in its body that's able to have a human life. A mind that is not in its body, meaning outside of its body, living in an imaginary speculative existence, even though if it's physically present, is not living this life, is it? Because it's, not, it's simply not present for life as life occurs, which is what the Buddha teaches. Who will perfect the well-taught Eightfold Path of Wisdom as an expert garland maker perfects their floral designs? It's, an, it's, a, uh, it's a clue to what this takes. It takes a very gentle but a very directed focus within the framework of the Eightfold Path. The well focused Dharma practitioner will overcome, will overcome this realm of death with all its gods. The well focused Dharma practitioner will perfect the well-taught eightfold path of wisdom as an expert garland garland maker perfects their floral designs realizing that form is like foam on the water a mirage they deflect mara's fl- flower-tipped arrows of sensuality and go beyond the grasp of death so metaphor can often be confusing but uh, mara is always the uh, the metaphorical representation of the a lot of words, the metaphorical representation of the manifestation of ignorance in the world. What it all those words simply means dukkha. Mara is dukkha. Any disturbance in the mind. Mara is used for as metaphor throughout the Dhamma. Uh, it's often given um, realistic or godlike characteristics, but again, there's many articles about that. But Mara or any other um, disincarnate being is always used as metaphor to make a point, um, and the, the the mention that form form is like foam on the water doesn't mean that form is non-existent. What is foam on the water? Again, we we take often people will take a line, mischaracterize it, even though the words sc- clearly speak to what it is, and say it means something else. So people will take this as saying, well, the Buddha's teaching that form is nothingness. He's not. Foam on the water is not nothingness. What's the Buddha teaching us here? The body, the form, is like foam on the water, meaning poof. One minute it's here, the next minute it's gone. He's teaching impermanence, not annihilation. It's so important. In fact, that's a key to understanding the Dhamma. The Buddha never taught annihilation. The Buddha's words, A flood sweeps away a village as ignorance sweeps away a person distracted by only picking flowers of pleasure, which is how we're taught to live our lives. We should always be going after what gives us pleasure. Some people have made a career on teaching us to always chase our bliss. Well, what is it? Our bliss is our distraction. Unless it's resting in reality. No matter what we acquire, we can get the biggest hut with the most coconuts. We're still chasing coconuts. We're not chasing reality. We're not living within reality. We're picking flowers of pleasure. Mara directs the person whose mind is distracted towards insatiable craving for flowers of pleasure. Another way of saying that without the metaphor is ignorance of four noble truths directs the person whose mind is distracted towards insatiable craving for flowers of pleasure. A sage seeking alms is like a bee gathering honey. Both sustain themselves with moderation. Always harmless. Always mindful of one's own acts. Unconcerned with others. What does that mean? It, does, it doesn't mean what, it, what some people might say, unconcerned with others. It's not an aloofness. It means I am so unconcerned about your fabrications that I can actually see who you are. You hear me talk often about the wise Dharma practitioner can stay, can stay mindfully present with other people too. We meet them where they are. And of course, even if we're just going to live our lives, not necessarily transmit the Dhamma, if we're going to live successful lives, we have to have a way to allow ourselves to be present with other people. It makes sense, doesn't it? And our life as life occurs. But if we're living in the flowers of pleasure alone, we can't meet anybody. It's like a living death. Because all we're then projecting on people is the flowers. Once we associate ourselves with only the flowers, that's all we can let other people see. We can't let them see the rotten roses in our back pockets. Why? Because we don't want people to know that. Why? Because I decided that people can't see that about me. And what have I decided in that moment? I've terrified myself about my own fabrication about myself. The garasuta. It seems real. It seems that I should hide certain parts of myself and emphasize other parts of myself based solely on a criteria that I give it. I alone. That's like a living death. Can everybody see that? Am I explaining this well enough? Say no if you don't. It's important.
1: So is the delusion also you're hiding it from yourself so you're
0: deluded? That's, That's delusion. Delusion isn't me fooling you. Delusion is me fooling me, isn't it?
1: The byproduct is you're fooling everyone, thinking that you're fooling everyone else, but the hard part is that you're deluding yourself. So, can a deluded person know they're deluded? Yes,
0: and I would change one word in that. Once I decide it, I'm compelled to present that to other people. Yeah. I'm compelled to literally live a lie, and that might sound like an extreme sentence, but that's what we're living in a fabrication is living a lie. The Buddha teaches us. From, fabric- from ignorance of Four Noble Truths comes fabrication, and then the whole realm of suffering. It's because we don't understand our own reality, who we are in relation to the world we live in, that we start creating fabrications about myself, personas. Personas that I want the world to see, that I'm holding out. And I know that that's not me. Every human being knows they can't be anything more than a six-property person. The, wor- the words of those lacking heartwood, the Eightfold Path, are like a beautiful flower with no fragrance. We all know great speakers, whether we're, we're talking about great Dhamma teachers or just people that can, that can sell you your own wallet, but we follow them because they're such good speakers. They know how to use words in a certain way that appeal to people. How did they learn that? How did they learn that type of deception within their own minds? The words of those lacking heartwood are like a beautiful flower with no fragrance. The words of those established in heartwood are skillful and like a beautiful and fragrant flower. We've all had that experience, haven't we? Listening to the Buddha's words from 2,600 years ago. They bloom like, a, like the most beautiful flower within our own minds. They bloom reality. Established in heartwood, though mortal, one does many good deeds, just as many as fine garlands can be made from a heap of flowers. So, again, we have... We live within impermanence and uncertainty, meaning we never know when the end is going to come, but it's up to us. The garland of flowers we'll put on our own minds, on our own own bodies too, for that matter. Get out of here. The sweet, I love this line, the sweet smell of flowers is lost to the wind. All those things I'm chasing, one good breeze and they're gone. The fragrance of true virtue, pervades all directions of all fragrances the fragrance of virtue is sweetest why not because i'm a good person and i can make sure the world knows it because then i know i'm good to go that what that means true virtue means there is nothing left within me as the buddha says there's nothing left within me to provoke another moment of ignorance meaning there's nothing (laughs) left within me that could cause harm to myself or any other human being that alone is true power when I know I can, I, that, that my next thought, my next word, my next deed is not capable of producing harm for me anymore, and so it's not capable of producing harm for anyone else in this world. That's true power, that's pure inner poise. Excuse me, Jen, it's something that Jen carries around with her all the time. And I, I, meant, I, I know I never said that to you, but I, I meant to in an email and I forgot to do it. <laughs> but it, it, it's true. Now, and we all have that to a certain extent. Jen, Jen just exemplifies it very well. She, kind of wears it on her sleeve um, in a good way. Um, We know that we're developing the Buddha's Dhamma when that inner poise becomes strong within us. When when our inner poise resting in the Dhamma becomes a true refuge. Of all fragrances, the fragrance of virtue is the sweetest. The fragrance of sandalwood and jasmine is faint. The fragrance of virtue touches all. And of course it does, doesn't it? You've you've heard me say often that the most loving thing I can do for myself and all other sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. In fact, I would say that's the one thing that's going to have any real effect on the world. Not that we're out to save the world, but that alone is really going to change things. Mara can never distract one from the Eightfold Path when they abide in refined mindfulness and right view. Guarantee against that. A lotus, fragrant and pleasing, grows in a heap of roadside rubbish. Beautiful metaphor, isn't it? Even so, the disciple shines resplendent in their wisdom on the rubbish heap of mortals buried in ignorance. Gotta be that one again. Even so, the disciple shines resplendent in their wisdom on the rubbish heap of mortals buried in ignorance. That could also sound like a harsh ending to a beautiful. Um, chapter but the Buddha is just speaking the truth there's not a knock on, on, on mere mortals he's just pointing out the pure suffering of living an ordinary human life but I should qualify that the most ordinary thing for a human being to do is to understand who they are so we are living an ordinary life but we're doing it in an extraordinary way in relation to what the world is doing. This is what the Buddha did. This is when he, what he talked about leaving the world behind because the world is a confining place. This is what he meant. And it's not that we're, we're, we're living within a fortress of our own minds against a hostile world, no. We're living fully engaged in a world, but with a, a mind united in its body that can no longer be affected by the stress and suffering that it's inherent in the world today's talk. Uh, let's go around the room and I think I'm not going to start with Julia, but i get We'll start with Kevin. Hello Kevin, good to see you. Okay.
2: Thank you. It is powerful. Um, a few days ago I was on a flight from Louisville back here and um, I don't like to fly as much as I used to when I was younger because of turbulence. At one point, there was really bad turbulence, and so bad that one of the uh, flight attendants cursed. And I thought, oh, that's not really good. <laughs> and I really started to practically lose my mind. I, I was panicky; my heart was pounding. And I thought, okay, what if? You know, what if? What if? What if? You know, this this happens. So I I meditated, you know, I just. Um, to get control of my breath and it lasted a while and while I was meditating playing calm down I calmed down um, and then I read I thought let me read the diamond I read this it starts with death you know and all the sutras <laughs> really start with death and end with death because it's yeah. it's inevitable so I thought about it you know it's really um, It should be what if, what if, what if every day, because it is ever-present every day. But, you know, most of the time we feel invulnerable or um, immortal. So, I don't know how to end up, but just with the sutta, I guess, and uh, thank you so much. Thank
0: you, Kevin. That, that, again, is pure dhamma. That's how we use it in those situations. I was thinking about, in, in contrast to to this crackpot, I used to love turbulence.
3: I did. <laughs> I know me too. I, I went I, over to me. It, yeah.
0: Well, to me, I mean, I I, I used to go to Hawaii <laughs> quite often, and you'd always hit turbulence when you get over, I'm the lot, but jet streams, etc. And I figured, you know, I'm not going to worry if if we crash because there's not much I can do about that. So I might as well enjoy the ride. This is you know, before I. Realize the importance of being in a moment. It was just a great ride. <laughs> People are screaming and I'm laughing. I'm hooting on.
4: They
0: stopped serving me alcohol. After that.
5: <laughs> Hello, Adam. Good morning. Uh, noble silence for me this morning. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, this chapter, from the way I see it, from all the Dhammapada has... It's all metaphor. <laughs> and, um, you know, the thing with metaphor is that metaphor and translation kind of can get can get kind of tricky. I think you alluded to that. Um, so I think it's, when, when we're looking at this chapter, John, I mean, we should, I, I kind of apply these metaphors to what they're talking about. The garland maker, the dharma practitioners, the garland maker. Uh, the bee is the sage. Okay, the what the, the dharma practitioner that is very advanced, right? A sage is a very advanced dharma practitioner, like the bee, that does not damage the flower, you know? Doesn't take its color away, doesn't take its smell away, goes about its business not damaging it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the realm of death, I, I see that as Earth, okay? As our planet. And humans on this planet we all we create this heap of rubbish. That's what humans do. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, you know, and Mara, you know, can be the can be ignorance, but I also made a note on your on a thing, you know let's get to it here. Uh, the king of death, you know, the could that be the ego, that fabricated, that fabricated existence that we all, all humans have, that ego that is the king of death, okay? And again, I'm not trying to say I'm right, it's not about right or wrong, but it's for me it's about understanding this chapter is very specifically uh, placed right after those chapters of, of setting yep. us up about how to think. Hard to be mindful mm-hmm. and maintain that quality of mind, yeah. um, and so the destroyer could be ignorance. You know, so there's this cause and effect thing that's going on in this chapter that I real that, that's incredibly subtle but incredibly powerful, um, and uh, yeah, I just think that this this is one of those chapters that um, may seem so quaint and cute, but it's when you apply these actionable metaphors to imper- to impermanent things, it's, it, it's meaning something. And yeah. so I, so as I go through my day, I have to understand that this is what humans do. We all do I do this every day, day by day. Yeah. And so being mindful of those actions and my reactions, <clears throat> I can incorporate that sense of calm. Come back to what Kevin just described, being on a plane, yep. and having that situation happen. I mean, that mm-hmm. these things can happen at, in a split moment, you know. Yeah. So, um, what a wonderful, wonderful chapter.
0: Yeah. You know? It is. Yeah, and all those, all those different um, aspects of ignorance that you mentioned—mara, the ego, etc., cetera, etc.—they're cetera, all that one thing, and and they're they're expressed in different ways. But the the Dhamma, you know, when we're talking about the ego in the sense of the Dhamma, I'm not talking about right. modern clinical, right. you know, they, they overemphasize that. We're just talking about self-referential That's views right. and we're talking about the ego, which is represented metaphorically by Mara, which is always metaphor for ignorance. And so it's all that one thing. And every, it's important that we recognize that everything in the Buddha's Dhamma is similar because it all points to recognizing ignorance of four noble truths as represented in different contexts. Can, can I
5: just finish up with one other quick, quick thing, John? Mm-hmm. This particular chapter is talking about the virtuous, in my view, from what I get out of it, the virtuous factors of the work the virtuous factors. Specific, it goes into things, but specifically, it's honing in on that virtuous factors. Those, yeah. action, those actionable entities.
0: Yes. Ethics. So you're seeing you're seeing one of the Buddha's teachings method that he didn't he didn't teach one thing all the time. Like he didn't start teaching four noble truths and every talk was on four noble truths exactly the same same words. So this particular sutta, let me put put this this way the Buddha's, the Buddha had enough suppleness of mind to understand different applications of key themes. And so you're right. This this particular chapter is on the the virtuous factors, but not alone because the the heartwood is never presented that way, but it's a focus on that. And again, look at the progression from introducing us to the dhamma to then teaching us mindfulness to then teach us the first thing we we apply mindfulness to is to our own behavior. That's exactly how we teach it in 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 other ways, but exactly that same way. We begin, most people begin the Dhamma with the virtuous factors and most people begin with the right speech. Why? Because it's the easiest thing to recognize. We're gabby human beings. The things that are we hold in mind are always going to come out of our mouth. So the Buddha immediately, and in, initially teaches us, pay attention to that. Because if you want to know what the qualities of your mind, look at what you're saying. Consequently, look at what those, those thoughts are driving, your actions. And then look at look at you know, your livelihood, but it's just that way, and it all comes down to ignorance. Thank you, Tim. Hello,
6: Michael. Hi, John. How are
0: you? I'm good. How are you? Uh,
6: I'm good, thank you. Good. I don't have a whole lot to say, but um, I just uh, look at the uh, the realm of death is uh, actually birth and read death, birth and death is uh, comes into mind. Uh, who will overcome this this realm of death with all its gods? Well, the individual who is not attached to the ego will will reach that realm, uh, overcome that that realm of death, or understand it for what it is. Uh, and obviously, that's perfect. Or well, oh, I'm sorry,
0: We I was distracted. Will you say that again? Uh, if you can,
6: to me. When I see death being mentioned, I don't look at it as a physical death that's occurring here. I look at it as the death of yes. the ego. Yep. So, death, death of the ego, obviously, there's a lot to the death of the ego, uh, but it's release. Uh, does it mean you're going to physically die? No, not necessarily. So, can you overcome this birth and redeath cycle that we're in, which is basically dependent origination? Yes, we can. So that's what I got out of that. Uh, and how is it done? It's done skillfully, uh, as an expert garland maker perfects their floral designs. So that's an individual who puts together floral designs skillfully. So our journey to overcome this cycle of death and rebirth is a skillful one. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah.
0: That's right. That's the right word. Take some skill to do this, and it's 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 developed skill applied in a skillful way. So thank you, Michael. Good morning, Julie. Uh, good
7: morning, John. I think I'm going to take noble silence. This is a very heavy one, and uh, my I need to like formulated in my mind first.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how much is in these little uh, Dhammapada the, the, chapters. When you, this one is but, really
7: rich. Yeah. But
0: you recognize the richness of it because you have the the background of knowing the Dhamma. You know, to some people hearing this, it would sound, well, it's, it's a really pleasant to some people might think it's unpleasant, but you have to have a little bit of understanding of the Dhamma to really get what this is about. Too, do. Yeah, so thank thank you. you. Good morning, Ron.
4: Good morning. Um, <clears throat> yeah, to see this chapter with an, with an emphasis on the virtuous factors uh, is, is an interesting way to, to see it because <clears throat> the, the virtuous factors are, are there so that we recognize those flower-tipped arrows coming at us yep. and, and know what to do about it
0: And who the archer actually is,
4: who the archer is, um, who the target is—it's yeah, yeah, it it is uh, amazing to 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 see how much is hidden in these Uh these few little lines that are plucked, you know, here and there from 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 different teachings uh, and and gathered together here. yeah, <laughs> and and all of them are, have, have carry a lot of a lot of meanings. You know, the yeah. the um, the lotus growing in the rubbish heap. Yeah. Um, it's a, a common yeah, visual, the fragrance uh, of of virtue. Uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's always nice to read this and, and and to hear you know the different takes here in in the sangha. Um, enjoy it. Yeah, really,
0: it, it, it's such an inspiration. Uh, again, to, to people that don't know anything about what the Buddha taught, and especially to people that understand what this really means, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. Po- uh, <coughs> 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 Excuse me. <clears throat> like most people, my uh, understanding of the Dhammapada was a few little snippets, you know, Buddhist cliche s- slogans that you hear that had you know DHP one whatever it might be. Oh yeah, that's the Dhammapada. It never was, you know, the, the Dhammapada is this rich collection, mm-hmm. I would say a complete collection of the Buddhist teachings, as long as you have the background, it really is marvelous. Thank you. Good morning, Jen. Good
3: morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just, yeah, I like the metaphors, because I get the little nuggets out of them, um, which I can carry around. Ironically, even though there's still a fabrication, somehow they remind me to come back to what's going on. And even if it's just observe the natural world around me, um, that idea of a, a garland maker expertly making garland is just fully present with what they're doing yeah. and focused and mindful about what they're doing and and that you know f- awareness of the phenomenal world um, is sort of like the gateway towards really bringing into my, personally, my mind, the four foundations of mindfulness. Yes, and yes. So it's like, first I become aware of what's around me, and then I can become fully, you know, really re- reunite. And these kinds of metaphors help that yeah. process.
0: Yeah, and it's just, again, the more I read, the more I read, how the Buddha taught I realized that they're brilliant to this man using whatever they're, they're very simple metaphors mm-hmm. but they're also so broad as, as right. Tim was pointing out yeah yeah and, and, and again as you learn from the Buddha you learn his teaching method fed his teaching method because he understood it now and again just the first time you heard about Mara maybe the first hundred times you heard what is that what is what, what's he talking about now you understand it mm-hmm. you can easily apply it to ignorance <clears throat> Thank you, Jen. Good morning,
1: baby. Jen. All through reading this, I, I kept thinking of the lesser pleasures. Mm. And through our jhana practice, we develop refined mindfulness. And only mm. through refined mind- mindfulness, you can see the difference between the lesser pleasures of the flowers. And the greater pleasure of the perfect, yeah. and the garland is that honing of that jhana meditation. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is be able to see reality, and that's what that delusion is. Mm-hmm. We're trying to see through that delusion. So,
0: thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's just that way. Um, I'm trying to remember who was on first. I think it was Steve, you signed on first. Good morning, Steve.
7: Good morning, Sean. I'm going to keep today.
0: I'm glad you joined us. Could you click your mic off, please? Steve, could you turn your mic? There it is. Thank you. Thank you. It
7: was very rich teaching adjusted
0: to my head. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, you got any, you know, send me an email if you got any questions about today too, Steve.
7: Okay, I, I will send you. Good to see
0: you. Good to see you too,
7: everybody.
0: Mary, how are you? Good
7: morning. Um, I have lots of thoughts running through my head, but the, um, you know, the resistance that we can have toward, Accepting our ignorance of the Four Noble Truths is, um, you know, is self-created. It's something um, we devise, um, but the um, metaphors provided here today are very helpful in trying to sort of break through some of the cement in your own head about um what is ease and joy sort of on the other side of understanding Uh, because we've all had those breakout moments little or small where we have understanding or knowing and we feel that ease and joy so you know wherever each of us is in our practice the um, methodology of the, the garland maker, you know, will continue to practice and hone her or his craft, um, continue to learn, see other people's work and the joy in their work, and continue to own their craft um, in order to fully experience the Four Noble Truths. So, yeah. those are just the thoughts that come to my mind. I appreciate everything that everyone else has said as well.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Those are some good thoughts. You know. Hello, Matteo.
8: Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, this class reminds me the the Fena Sutra, so the the Fom sutra when uh, you know when, when Gautama explained the all aggregates.
0: The, are, Fena Sutra. Are, mm-hmm. That's like are...
8: Basically,
0: there
8: are all form. Uh, oh, sorry, all uh, aggregate that are apparently
0: there, but uh, it has no substance. Yes. Yeah. That's a like, When I think about foam, I think about cappuccino because I'm Italian. But
3: that's <laughs> 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 and and you just you just instilled a, a bit of craving in me, Matteo.
0: <laughs> it's good. It's good to see you. Good to have you join us today. Thank you, Brian. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Yeah, no, I want a
5: cappuccino. Yeah. Um,
0: We're all going out for cappuccino.
5: Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, this, uh, the whole, the, the, I guess just in practice, the more mindful I've become and the more present I've become just in my day-to-day, the the easier it's gotten to see those projections from other people and, and realize it's, it's not me. And, and whatever they're doing is what they're doing. And I... I again, be unconcerned with others. Yes,
0: you don't take it personal. You just... You, just, you get this sense whether
5: I, I don't know if it's right or not. I don't know if it needs to be, but you get this general sense of where they're coming from and why. It's just... There's so much fear in people.
3: Yeah. It,
0: but we're, we're able to gain the ability to leave even that in peace. Right. Because, right. Through understanding, not through anything else, not through some palliative way of, of thinking. It's because we understand it.
5: Right. Yeah, so I this one just really resonated in, in daily practice and in life. So I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Brian. Good morning, Cliff. Good to see you.
8: Hi, good to see everybody. How are you? Uh, great. I, I was, uh, it, it was great. Uh, just so many little takeaways from this. A couple of things that impressed me, um, pressed upon me was uh, I, I like the thing about the, uh, that we live a life of an imaginary existence uh, when we are, we're not uh, living this life, yeah. and uh, it's absolutely true. We yeah. spend most time in the living in the past, in the future, or imagining being in some uh, some some realm other than where we are. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, uh, of course, uh, which is foam, uh, form is like foam on the water, and. Uh, you know it's it's seeing it's seeing everything as, as effervescent yeah uh it's constant impermanence and when you see it that way there's nothing to cling to there's nothing there that you can cling to uh which uh leads to what you were talking about or this, this, about the true virtue yeah uh if there's nothing there to cling to uh what is it that we have to act so unskillfully or with anger and hatred uh to, to gather to ourselves yeah. there's nothing there so there's no there's no impetus to do it and, and also the definition of that is not left as you said uh, uh to produce harm to oneself or another which is the key to self-making it's mm-hmm. like a condition to create the self as soon as you want to harm another uh there's that I that, that grows so strong it, mm-hmm. it just solidifies right around that
1: yeah uh yeah.
8: And, and the other thing about virtue you know,
3: it, is this, it is for most people the start of the
8: path and uh, one of the things that you said that, uh, that struck me is, is like an aha is that uh,
3: by practicing virtue and being mindful to it uh, it's a way to know the quality yeah. uh, pay attention to the
8: quality of your own mind yeah. by what you are doing and what you say and also the quality of someone else's mind not by what they pretend but what actually they the way they act yeah uh, uh,
0: so uh, great value uh, in this teaching. Yeah, it is. It's just the the whole Dhammapada is like that, and I probably say this every chapter, but this is such a such a powerful chapter, isn't it? And I, I, Cliff, you you you, uh, you characterize this all very well. Um, I hope you don't mind if I say that, that, that Cliff has taught a lot of. It's like okay, if I give a little background on you, Cliff, say no if you don't want me to. It's all right. Cliff has uh, he's taught quite. I guess I'll put it. Cliff has taught quite a few Dharma classes himself, and I think he can tell that by the way he sees the Dharma. So, uh, thank you for for contributing that, Cliff. Um, what we're seeing is the we talk about this at almost every class, but I think this chapter, even though it's, it's steep in metaphor, teaches the practicality of the Dharma, doesn't it? Be- because it has to be done right here and right now, not. Within the framework of that living death, but it has a way of piercing the veil of the veil of death, the veil of ignorance. It doesn't it, and that is what the heart, with the Dhamma or the Eightfold Path provides us. It allows us to live within the realm of death, but start actually living, and it's within that framework. Remarkable. Uh, we'll finish with uh, with Meta as we always do. I just want to let you know Matt will be teaching Tuesday's class, um, so we we have that to look forward to. And again, the retreat's coming up where you'll get a chance to listen to all, all, all six of us uh, in-house teachers will teach, and that's, a, that's always a remarkable thing. You'll see um, you know, seven different presentations of the Dhamma but on the common Dhamma. You'll see seven unique presentations, but always on the Dhamma and it's always fun to, to be a part of all that, instead of just listening to this one old crazy grouchy guy. <laughs> uh, we'll finish with meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited. contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning.
7: Thank you, Peace. Thank you,
0: John. See you all.
7: Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, Mike.
0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.